1: How's it going, everybody? This is Trevor Davis, lead wealth coach up at TWA, back live again. Today is Wednesday, December 28th. I hope everybody had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and are looking forward to the new year with new approaches and new changes coming up. Because as I always start my radio show, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. You are on a set path at this time based on your past decisions and your current actions. You're going to continue down this path with the exact same results, more or less, if you keep doing these same things over and over again. You cannot have the expectation that you're going to get something different based on the exceptions to the rules. This is something I was really thinking about yesterday is the fact that people will base their expectations off of the exceptions rather than the rule. And probably the most brutal example of that is the fact that we have a lottery system. In any state, in any country, there's a lottery that makes millions and millions, if not billions of dollars for the lottery holders the vast majority of the time. Anybody that has been to Las Vegas or has gambled anywhere always knows that the house wins. So you can guarantee that even with tens of millions of dollars in payouts to the extraordinarily rare situation where someone wins, the lottery holders are making the vast majority of money. So people are basing on a gambling decision on the exceptions. On the minuscule chance that they'll be the one to win the Mega Millions lottery. Because, oh, I heard that, I saw it on the news that someone won yesterday and someone won last month and this, that, and the other. But the rule here is that 99.999999999999% of people do not win the lottery. So to make your decision based on the exception to the rule rather than the actual rule is absurd. And that's what a lot of people end up doing in their decision-making is that they think about the exceptions rather than what's the consistent rule. I mean, you ever say something and just make a statement and you feel like the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth every time is a a rebuttal of some type. And I understand how that can be constructive because that's what we're supposed to do is provide feedback to others, including negative feedback sometimes. But most of the time these rebuttals are provided, it's a very small exception to what's otherwise a very important, very consistent statement. And that person is basically saying it not just as an exception either, but as something that compromises the entire rule. Like, let's say something simple, diet-wise. Eating broccoli is good. That seems to be a pretty simple statement. But then you could have somebody come up and say, well, broccoli's not good if you soak it in butter and cheese and eat nothing but broccoli. It's like, okay, guys, those are the exceptional situations to what's normally just a healthy vegetable on its own that can be eaten normally as a healthy part of a healthy diet. We don't need to be thinking immediately about the exceptions, even the positive exceptions, on our decision-making. We need to look at the chance, the odds, the expected outcomes based on historical evidence the historical evidence indicates that eating broccoli on a regular basis not saturated in too much fat is a good way to get your vegetables and is a good way to get a lot of great vitamins into your body the historical record shows that the 99.99 bunch of nines percent of people who buy lottery tickets or invest, if you will, in the lottery. I'll just use that term for fun here. They don't get any payout. They don't get squat. All, they're, all they've done is provide money into the pockets of the lottery holders. And people are playing the lottery all the time. On the off chance that they become the exception to the rule. Somebody could say then, well, if you're not going to invest in the lottery, you have a literal zero chance of winning. That's true. But my odds are still going to be better if I'm spending my energy and creating a financial plan that doesn't involve something as crazy as winning the lottery, for goodness sake. So then, of course, we talk about stocks because I haven't yet met anybody who can call stock market investing true investing once they know the difference because it is very, very different than something that has established value and a clear increased value potential. You know, if you want to do something like invest in the stock market, historically speaking, After decades of holding, people make the six to seven percent once you account for average inflation. It's not better than six to seven percent, and it's not worse, but that's it. So, if you invest a hundred thousand dollars in the stock market, you can expect to make about sixty five hundred dollars a year on that. So, that's Making you a goodish, I guess, $500 a month. But you're not going to retire on $500 a month. And when most people are retiring on just over $2,000 a month with Social Security and the savings that they have, and they get to that $2,000, so you would need to invest like $400,000 to get just to $2,000 a month. Like, that's a lot of money. And then at that time, it starts to get ridiculous because if you have $400,000, you're, well, you're quite a ways away from the median average savings in retirement of one hundred and seventy, dollars because you've got $230,000 more. So I think a lot of people doing the math in their heads right now would be like, well, yeah, that's kind of pointless to invest in the stock market. You could probably just... Do the retirement on your savings thing, which isn't the greatest thing either, but it's like, why would you want to risk it in the stock market at that point? $400,000 is a lot of money, and that's something that can be used in real estate leverage to get rates of return that are typically 20% is the round low number that we use these days based on what we've seen over the past three decades, at least. Once we get back, we'll start getting into the Tony Robbins stuff. I promise we would continue discussing. We will be right back after the break. Stay tuned.
0: There's an old joke.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy Wednesday radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. So we just talked about not basing our rules on the exceptions to the rule. Now, of course, as the saying goes, there are exceptions to almost every rule. Some people say there's an exception to every single rule out there. But my argument is that you shouldn't base your own rules based on solely on the exceptions to the rules that are out there, the things that work and clearly work. And we're not even talking about things that work even just in a positive way, but just this is the way that things work. I mean, if you want to talk about the example of putting your hand onto the stove and it burns and you saw a story in Ripley's Believe It or Not where some guy put his hand on a stove for five seconds and somehow he was in a state that didn't cause him to be burned? Okay, is that what you're going to base your behavior around hot stoves around? Probably not, because that's not going to be reasonable. I mean, that's an incredibly crazy exception to the rule. Or the guy in France who eats metal and glass and Comes out fine. He literally takes apart computers, um, houses, and literally eats pieces of metal and glass. You think that that's going to work out for you? That guy's the exception to the rule that you probably shouldn't be putting metal and glass into your body. Make sure that you are not basing anything off of the exceptions, the rare exceptions to rules that, Work. So let's go on and continue with the stuff that I talked about from Tony Robbins with the Unleash the Power Within that I attended at the beginning of last month, the beginning of November. And we were just talking about the flavors of suffering. We've all got a suffering mode, a low mode that saps us of energy. It's the mode that makes us not want to take care of what we need to take care of. It's the mode that makes us snap at our spouse or significant other over really unimportant things. I mean, think about the mode when, and I'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing, but if you have somebody and you're dealing with somebody that you're not a fan of, I mean, are you giving them grace? Are you giving them lots of room for understanding if they say something, or are you snapping at every little mistake that they make? Probably snapping at every little mistake they make. Imagine that energy is one big part of your suffering state when it's not just a person that you don't like, but it's the entire situation, or it's a general assessment of your whole life situation that you're not a fan of, and you've got this particular set of emotions and reactions. You know, are you somebody that gets extremely angry, flustered? Does your heart start racing? Are you a super low, sort of Eeyore style suffering person? Are you a detached suffering person where you just seem to be looking into space even when people are looking at you? You're just trying to detach yourself from what's right in front of you as much as you can, thinking about what it is that you would rather be doing. There's a lot of different flavors of suffering out there, but we have to make sure that we're identifying what those specific triggers are. What is it that happens to us, not necessarily on a regular basis, I hope, but what is something that happens to you that gets you into your suffering low state? Is it a comment that someone makes it work? Is it a comment from somebody that bothers you on a regular basis? Is it a comment from a otherwise very trusted and loving person? Is it something that you say to yourself if you make a mistake? With those triggers as they go in mind, And I'm very, very hesitant to use that term because that term has become heavily used in recent years, and I don't like it because it removes human authority from the picture to say that we can just be triggered like a firearm as if we have no human authority to make our own decision on our behavior. But not to go that far into that territory, which is, in my opinion, pretty ridiculous— We do need to identify that there are certain things that we have reactions to, and most of those reactions are coming from past experiences that we weren't big fans of. You know, is there a particular smell that you don't like because this meal was prepared and you ended up getting a big fight with your parents whenever you were a kid? Or is there a particular place where something bad happened and you don't like going to places like it anymore? Those are certain triggers that we can identify and manage when we know what they are, instead of just being like, oh, every time my significant other makes chicken parm, for some reason I start to get agitated, or every time we go to a Burger King, for some reason now I'm mad too. You know, that sounds silly, but there's a lot of situations like that where it's just small things that we associate with bigger problems that can end up being potential triggers for our negative behavior. A failure is definitely a big one. If we consider ourselves not enough or failures, that's one of the biggest triggers out there for everybody. So we were given several tools to start approaching this task of more responsible reactions to negative outcomes and situations. What is it you can do whenever you start to feel a negative scenario has arrived? Because like it or not, there's always going to be negative scenarios. There's always going to be more BS headed your way, for real, and doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be as bad as some of the BS you probably dealt with, and I'm here's hoping that it's not, but one of those realities of life is that there's going to be crap that we'd rather not deal with, that we wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, if in my ideal imaginary world, this is something that I'd want to deal with. We're not going to be saying that we want to get hit by a car or an 18-wheeler on the highway, most likely. With the things that we have control over, though, our emotional reaction to situations, they said, don't allow your emotional state to turn into a Godzilla. Don't allow the negative reaction set that you have to turn into its ultimate mode. Because whatever set of negative reactions you have and whatever normal way you express them, there's certainly an extreme and more extreme way for you to convey that if you're really, really put into a suffering state. So they called it kill the Godzilla when it's a baby. In other words, nip it in the bud. Don't allow something to continue spiraling out of control when you can make a different turn and change direction. doesn't have to be perfect, and it's not going to be perfect. But if you're able to identify some of these things that are bothering you, you can start to feel your emotional state rising and put yourself into a set of positive past experiences or think about those past positive experiences that give you a little more perspective on the situation instead of getting in your head that there's nothing but this negativity that's right in front of you. It's a little bit of the balance there between presence and past thought. Of course, you want to be present, but... If that present in front of you is consuming you and making you make bad decisions, you're going to have to start pulling it from your history, looking at some examples where things ended up perfectly fine or not as bad as you thought, and you use that positive past experience to give you direction and context in the present. Find the humor was another one, and I'm a very comedic person. I'm a very humorous person. I can find humor in anything and everything, literally. And that being said, there's a lot of humor in trying to have a reaction like an upset toddler. I mean, if that's one of the ways that we're going to be upset about things, how can we call ourselves adults if we're not even able to control our reaction to the negative things that bother us as adults? Because we had the negative experience Um, situations come up as we were kids, they're not going to go away as we're adults, but we're supposed to have an adult response that's mature and balanced, and two is going to be a good example to our kids so they can manage their experiences now and they can manage their experiences as they grow into adults. So what sort of example are we going to be setting if we're just reacting to everything like a complete knee-jerk reaction, and we have no control over things. You know, we're acting like the triggered handgun rather than the human being with a big old brain that's supposed to know how to act right. So this was a really fun one. Change the face, words, and your body. Change your physiology. Change, change your physical posture. They emphasize this a lot, and I've heard about this a lot, but when you look at somebody that's standing tall, back straight, chin up, chest out, that's somebody that's experiencing a confident physiology. They might not necessarily feel confident, but that physiology is going to start engendering a confidence and positive emotional state. This is something that does sound pretty mystical and magical and maybe a little ridiculous to a lot of people, and I get it because it seems so dang simple. But if you want to try it yourself, anybody can do this experiment. Go to that physiology with your back straight, chest out, chin up, and then transition to looking down with your eyes down, with your back hunched over, with your arms slooped, legs bent, drooping down. Why is it that we experience negative emotional states with this posture? Why is it we associate negativity to this posture? I mean, is that really all just some weird coincidence? I don't think so and the science doesn't indicate so either. People can literally feel and think better based on their posture. Maybe when we look at the science itself and the physiology itself, it comes from having better circulation or something to that effect. But having the correct physiology is one of the easiest, and they said quickest way for you to change your emotional state. So don't be slouching around wondering why you feel like a slouch. Make sure you're sitting up straight in your chair as well. Get up, do some stretches, change your physiology if you're starting to feel like you're in a slump and get moving. We'll be right back at the halfway point with the TWA radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to the TWA Wednesday radio show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. So, let us do our halfway point update for the stock markets because, as always, we are going to rip on the stock market as it goes. And just to be clear on this, though, I am going to be doing updates if the stock market goes up. So, rest assured, you're going to be getting both sides of the picture. But With transitions to down markets, I want you to understand, if you don't understand it already, that down market slides suck for the average stock market investor because the average stock market investor is in a 401k, IRA, whatever, with whatever acronym, you know what we're talking about, and they don't have a whole lot of control of their portfolio, if any. Most don't. Most really, really don't. So they're going to have to watch as their stock portfolio slides down 10, 20, 30% or more, and they can't do anything about it. That's when people are like, well, what about those real estate folks I hear about, those wackos at TWA or wherever the heck? Yeah, there's a lot of different investment opportunities out there, and you really have to make sure you're getting into the ones that work for you and your family. I don't believe for most people that having a 401k and IRA that goes down these percentages is effective for anybody. And even when everything is accounted for, 6 to 7% only, you know, good for some amount of your money, but not all of it, not for the majority. That's just not a substantial enough rate of return. First things first, Dow Jones year to date. So from January 1st to today, December 28th, we're about to be a full year at this point. 2022 is wrapping up. They are at a negative 8.52%. So Dow Jones has been the least loser overall index. And they haven't done anything as close to S&P or NASDAQ in terms of loss, but that's still a loss. That's not something that people are making money on if they held money in this account. You might have made money if you did some short calls. As I mentioned, that's something that a lot of people do that are professionals, quote unquote, stock investors. But that's very risky because if it ends up going up, your loss is unlimited. So you have to be betting on something that you have as many assurances as you, as you can get in the stock market is going to go down. S&P is now at... Negative 18.35% year to date. That is one of the absolute worst that we've seen for all of these months that I've been doing this, this past over half a year that I've been doing these updates. So S&P has been our middle loser. And of course, NASDAQ is our biggest loser. They are at negative 33.69%. Negative percent So somebody who has $100,000 in the NASDAQ has lost over $33,000. That doesn't sound profitable, right? Losing Losing money doesn't sound profitable. Of course that's not profitable. And yet for some reason, this is the mainstream American culture for us to invest in this particular type of asset. This is the thing that you hear about from your teachers. This is the thing that you heard about from your parents, from your from your friends growing up. This is what you hear on the news day in and day out. This is what you see in the newspaper every single day. Stocks, 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 stocks. Because they want you to make them money. They want you to put your money and risk your bacon in their companies. And make them money so they get the cool severance packages if things go wrong and you just take a fat loss. I mean, let's talk about a severe issue that just happened. If you're listening, I don't know if you've gotten home yet from your Southwest flight or not. That is a freaking debacle for them to screw up that badly. And it seems like There isn't really a whole lot of conclusiveness on what exactly went so, so wrong. Because I just looked at three different articles that just say, hey, had to do with the winter storm. That was challenging. Oh, hey, the system was kind of outdated. Oh, hey, now we have no idea where any of our employees are. We don't know who's supposed to come in. And we don't have any idea where the luggage is supposed to be. Or when the heck you're going to be able to get a flight. That is a... That's an incredible failure. So if you're the CEO of this company, you know, you get to apologize and apologize and apologize, and you're probably going to get kicked, but not without a hefty severance package that's going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars each year for the foreseeable future. You know, the people in Southwest that have invested in Southwest that are no doubt seeing losses now, and for the foreseeable future, you know, they just take an L. They just take a loss. That's not, that's not the best dynamic. That's not the best way for you to be putting your family's hard-earned money. That's just not practical for most people. So that's our news right there on the stock market. This crazy Southwest disaster. I mean, I love Southwest. They are my preferred airline. In, in general. So I was very shocked to hear about this, but here we are. So I hope you got home safe. If you're hearing this and you're not, I hope you get home safe. That is not a fun scenario to be in. Understatement of this whole radio show. So let's get back to dealing with our emotional state and our elevated, grateful state, our beautiful state, the state where things flow and make sense and Just everything seems right versus this crappy, depressed, low state, or whatever state you want to describe it as, but it's the bad state. It's a state that we don't want. It's a state that we don't want to be in. And yet sometimes we get so comfortable, even in the crappy state, that we'll do stuff to defend it. And it gets supported by the fact that this crappy state doesn't necessarily kill us outright, But because we've been surviving with it so long, our survival brain has attached even itself to this state. So if we're trying to break out of a low state, our survival brain's like, no, you should stay where you are because that seems to be working out okay. We're not dead. We're not dying. But rest assured that in the long run, it's not the people that are stressed out and anxious all the time who are living the longest, healthiest lives. Stress eats away at the body, messes with your brain. It does not do you any favors. Being in a low state does not make you healthier. That's not going to be the state that makes you eat healthy, take care of your personal hygiene, shower on a regular basis, go to the gym, look good for your significant other. It makes you do the opposite of all that stuff. You have to be cultivating Away from your crappy state. You might not even know exactly 100% what the beautiful state is, but I think all of us know what the crappy state is. The junk state. Whatever your specific state is, you have to find ways to go away from it. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll get away from it permanently or always and forever, but you don't want to be living there on a regular basis. So take what they call the 90-second rule. And they talk about doing this more hearty analysis than I think is necessary. I mean, can we take just 10 seconds or even just five before we react to something that we don't like? Can we literally just take five seconds count them out in your head when something happens that you don't like and you have that initial face twist or that gasp or that sigh or that inhale literally before you say something. Because it's easy to just have a reaction to something physically, but to say that you're going to automatically say something no matter what, that doesn't fly with me. You're gonna have to say something and form that in your head before it comes out of your mouth. So you're not gonna get away with me to say that, oh, you just blurted this out. No, you had time to process that information and figure out something better to say. So be very, very cautious with your approach in the most serious negative situations. But. Take up to that 90 seconds, step out of the room, excuse yourself from the situation. I've had to do this before in confrontations where I just straight up said, look, I'm not comfortable with this situation. We need to talk about this at a later time. Sometimes doing that directly and straight up assessing the situation that way so they can hear it out of somebody else's mouth makes a world of difference. Don't consent to dealing with BS like that from other people and just taking it. Make sure you're getting out of those bad situations. We are going to be back continuing with Tony Robbins. Stay tuned for the final segment of today's show.
0: It's an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And that is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that is going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars over the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, attend our free sample class at TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you.
2: Universal Propane Grill and Light is where all the great grill masters shop for top-tier quality products to barbecue or cook a great piece of meat. Owner Bob Fulton always emphasizes to me the importance of selling a great quality product, whether it's a new grill or one of the many outdoor kitchen accessories. Don't be fooled by buying products online. I assure you, you're not getting what you're paying for. Stop by Universal Propane Grill and Light and allow Bob Fulton to explain and inform you on true quality products. And Universal Propane Grill and Light can help you plan your outdoor kitchen so it is built safely and built to last for many years. And all of their outdoor kitchen items from grills, griddles, side burners, power burners, refrigerators, doors and drawers, and much more are all in stock so you can purchase what you need for your outdoor kitchen and get it built and finished today. Universal Propane Grill and Light, 9106 FM 1960 West, just west of 249. Or give Bob a call today at 281-894-8878 or visit their website, gasgrillwarehouse.com universal propane grill and light. Hi, this is Lewis Flory. You've been relying on ability tree experts for decades to protect and maintain the valuable trees on your property. You can continue to rely on the same professional services. So call ability tree experts at 281-441-4179 today. All right,
1: everybody. We are at back at the final segment of today's show. I'm your host, Trevor Davis. I want to ask everybody a question. And this is something that I have had to deal with personally. This is something I think most people deal with personally. I mean, I would say everybody on the planet. And some people are way worse off for this. But do you have the need to be right? Do you have the need to be right all the time? Some of the time... Most of the time, just a few times. Now, I'd say most people want to be right all of the time. And a lot of people need to feel that they're right all of the time. So let's talk about that approach in the context of an argument or a discussion with your significant other. If you are wrong... If you screwed up, if you did something that your significant other did not like and somebody looking from an outside perspective would agree, hey, that was pretty crappy of you, are you going to continue arguing and defending yourself to be right? Or are you going to take the ego hit and admit that you were wrong and move the heck on from this one small issue. This one issue. Maybe it was a bigger issue. But this issue. Righteousness does not equal effectiveness. Righteousness has never equaled effectiveness. Righteousness will never equal effectiveness. Because righteousness is based on your ego assessment, what you think makes you right, which may not be true at all. So when you start to defend your need for righteousness against reality, you start to contradict reality and you start losing effectiveness because you're basing your actions and decisions on a skewed perception of reality. You want to be right rather than actually part of what's right. It's one way to look at it. But you want to appear to be right. You want to be the right one, the smartest one, the wisest one, the one who's always right, even when you're wrong, is the issue. What about what would be the difference here between someone that wants to be right because they've actually connected? to the right principles that actually work and they just want to be attached to the things that actually and truly work versus a person that just wants to be right because they have a particular perception of themselves and reality. And that's what they've based everything on when it comes to their decision-making. And anything that contradicts it has to be argued with. And then they get this very weird arrangement psychologically about life where it's basically, even if they've been completely proven wrong, all they've done is dig their heels in deeper. Righteousness does not equal effectiveness. And with your significant other, it's very important because that's something I've encountered in my relationships before, where I've been wrong. There was a major part of me that said I was wrong. And for some reason, I kept arguing Isn't that a weird sensation to feel like you cannot stop doing something incredibly stupid? Has anybody here ever been in that position? Definitely for a lot of us. This book that I've mentioned before, How to Stay in Love by James Sexton, divorce Lawyer in Manhattan. So you know he's busy. And he has been very busy and has done a lot of divorces. Over a thousand at this point, but he's asked people in the book and the people that he meets do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? What if it's something that your spouse is wrong about, but it's not that freaking important? What if it's the way that they put the dishes in the dishwasher? What if it's the way that they leave the toilet seat up? What if it's the way that they cook something? I mean... And that's just the way they do it. Do you really, 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 really want to start a discussion about something that small? If they've literally already said that they're going to do it that way, and that's just like... Or you've talked about it before. Sometimes... You gotta... Let stuff go. And I don't really like using the term compromise in relationships. I think that's such a weak term. And I love just historically showing the fact that talk about all the compromises that were made before the start of the Civil War. They tried to keep having it to where they could continue having slaves out in the Western Territories and they basically stopped that, and it was basically everything that was trying to keep the nation from falling apart. And they were all called compromises, weren't they? AKA, neither side got what they really wanted. And we know how that ended with the deadliest war in the United States history. And that's an extreme example, but just looking at historically, that's the reason why I think the word compromise is so funny and why people. Emphasizing it in relationship and saying that relationships are about compromise. Compromise is getting something that neither of y'all really wanted. Something that's crappier than what both of y'all were desiring in the first place. Compromise is crap. Cooperation is great on the other hand. I mean, I'll use the term synergize from Stephen Covey. Synergization. Is the goal. One plus one not equaling one, that's compromise. One plus one equals two, that's cooperation. One plus one equaling three, that's synergization. That's getting something better than what either of y'all were approaching this thing for. Because guess what? Two heads are better than one. And if you use your smart brain and your significant other uses theirs, and both of y'all approach the situation with L-O-V-E, love, you're going to be able to find something better in this situation that neither of y'all saw at first. I mean, clearly, because you got into the argument or discussion in the first place. But you're going to be able to do something better with this based on a synergization approach rather than a compromise approach. And yeah, I just... I just hear the word compromise thrown around in relationships all the time, not necessarily from people who are in relationships at all or people that are in relationships that I personally consider um, acceptable for my standards, I would say. I know there's somebody for everybody, but I don't think somebody should be arguing with their significant other on a daily basis. That's ridiculous. That's not sustainable. That's not a good life. And those people who say compromise, clearly that does not work. Compromise is not what defines relationships. And saying that you're compromising on something, just be very careful with that because that's not what I'm saying to do. If they leave the toilet seat up and you say you're compromising for it, or, you know, maybe just put it down, maybe just let it go and just see that, hey, you should just check. Or if you don't like the way that they load the dishwasher, well, maybe before y'all start it, you check and you just adjust the dishes that you don't like how they're arranged. Something like that. I mean, everybody's got a pet peeve of their significant other. Maybe that's just too negative a way to say it. But we all know that we're not perfect, so neither is our spouse going to be perfect. But I would actually argue that there are ways for us to make as close to a perfect relationship as we can get as long as we're working together and we're focusing on synergization and not compromise. So that took a little bit of a tangent there, but back to Tony Robbins here, and specifically what we were talking about during that because that tangent came from the fact that they talked about the righteousness versus effectiveness. And to circle back to the beginning of this discussion, make sure you're focusing on being happy with your significant other and effective in your relationship, not to be right and not to think about everything in terms of compromise or what you're losing to satisfy your partner. We're not going to be able to get into detail with this today, of course, because we are about to wrap up, but let's talk about a couple of things before we do. We are all stuck on something right now. We are all stuck at a certain roadblock with something specific. Let's not get general and just say, I feel stuck in life because that's just not specific enough that's very very hard to address but let's talk about something specific like finances if you're in a financial position that you don't want to be in could you be basing your decisions on fear of further loss or fear of change in your financial positioning fear is the number one stopper of forward progress We are wrapping up now, folks. I really appreciate y'all tuning in to the Wednesday radio show. I am your host, Trevor Davis, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.